What's up, dudes? Welcome back to another episode of Science Unscripted. Today, we're going to be talking about something that's a little controversial. Well, I mean, it's not that con- it's not that- but, like, okay, it, it is in the sense that some people don't understand it fully, don't understand its benefits, as well as its- well, I guess there are cons. So, basically- okay, I'm just gonna tell you what we're talking about, because that would make this so much easier. We're talking about carbon dioxide. Now, carbon dioxide, y'all have probably heard about it, you're like, that's what we breathe out. It's bad. We don't like it. It's increasing our- causing global warming. We're getting hotter. It's making me sweat. Yes, it might be. Um, well, yes, it is. The increase in the atmosphere does lead to global warming, but there's also a lot of mag- like, there's a huge magnitude of things that carbon dioxide does in our body, and it's really interesting. So, I mean, like, while it's controversial, like, it's also pretty cool. And so we're gonna go into carbon dioxide today and talk a little bit about the magical world that it encapsulates. Okay, so with that incredibly brief, or I guess not that brief, more of me rambling introduction, we're gonna go straight into it. So, carbon dioxide, it's a colorless gas. It's one of the greenhouse gases. Um, it's a minor component of Earth's atmosphere, um, about three volumes in 10,000, so pretty small. And by the way, it's a greenhouse gas, that's one that absorbs the gases that come off the Earth, and we'll talk more about that. Um, but just know that that's, we'll explain what a greenhouse gas is. So if you're a little confused, don't, don't be, you're gonna be, it'll be okay. Okay, so it was first recognized by this dude named Joseph, Bla Joseph Black, which, by the way, awesome name. He lived from about nine, 1728 to 1899. He was studying magnesium carbonate, and um, he found that when it was heated or exposed to an acid, a gas evolved, and he called this the fixed air because it had been combined with a solid material. He found that the gas extinguished a flame, that it could not support life, and it was present in gas exhaled for lungs. Dun dun dun! Carbon dioxide. Okay, so, carbon dioxide. That's the molecular weight of 44.004. Obviously, that can be different depending on your source, but normally 44, that's where you were at, because it's made out of carbon, which is 12.01, and then two oxygens, which is either 16 or 15.999. So, um, combined, 44. Now, um, one carbon compound uh, is, it's a carbon attached to each oxygen in a double bond. So, that's actually really important for what wavelength of light it can, um, like, absorb and why it is a greenhouse gas. Just know, carbon bo double bonded to oxygen. Now, we're gonna focus on humans for a second. So, in humans, carbon dioxide is produced in cellular respiration, mainly the Krebs cycle during oxidation of citric acid and pyruvate during pyruvate oxidation and the oxidation of isocitrate, um, citric acid, and alpha-ketoglutarate. So, those are just um, steps in the um, Krebs cycle. We talked, we actually haven't done an episode on the Krebs cycle. That's crazy. Oh, I should do that. No, okay, focusing. Um, basically, uh, those are the steps in the Krebs cycle, which is part of cellular respiration. I think we talked a little bit about it in the magnesium episode, but we didn't go too far into it. Okay. So it's released into the bloodstream where it is exhaled out of the lungs. Um, if too much accumulates, it can lead to respiratory acidosis. Now, this is pretty cool. So um, I love acidosis and like ketoacidosis. I think obviously it's a bad thing, but I think it's really interesting. So basically what happens is that CO2 doesn't just exist as CO2 in your blood. It gets dissolved in your blood and combines with water to form carbonic acid. Now, carbonic acid isn't very stable by itself, so it will form, there's like an equilibrium, you know those reactions that have the double arrows. Um, basically, it will break down into an hydrogen ion, remember, acidic, um, and then a 
bicarbonate ion. Now, this is really important because this forms the bicarbonate um, buffer solution in your blood. So basically what happens is that through, we know through Le Chatelier, I'm going to butcher this, Le Chatelier's, Le Chatelier, it's funny because I haven't like learned French, it's Le Chatelier, um, through his principle we know that if you increase the products, uh, it goes to the reactant. So if you increase the concentration of molecules on one side of the reaction, it'll go to the other. Um, we also know that there's other things with the but that's what we're going to focus on now. So if you increase the hydrogen ion concentration or the acidity, it combines with hydrocarbonic, carbonic, with, sorry, bicarbonate to form carbonic acid. Um, and then if you increase the CO2, it goes to make hydrogen ions and bicarbonate. Now, what you might be thinking, what does this do? Well, it decreases the pH. Did I say increases the pH earlier? I might have made a mistake, but it decreases the pH. So if there's a decrease in pH, um, this can lead to basically an impaired functioning of your body and um, a lot of like cellular like processes, because obviously we know that enzymes and our cells need to function at a mac at a um, not a what is it called optimal pH um, level. So we know that if you're decreasing the pH, it's not very good. It's why we have the bicarbonate buffer solution, basically allowing for if you have um, in the state where you have respiratory acidosis. Now respiratory because you're in respiratory is I'm not going to go into a whole thing of like what respiratory bus versus like metabolic acidosis is, but basically what happens is that if you have an increase in of CO2, your body's going to breathe faster. Um, I forgot what that was called, but basically you're just going to breathe faster, increase your exhalation and your inhalation rate to increase that CO2 that's getting pumped out. Now, this is a, your body's way of temporarily reducing, I mean, increasing your pH because it's reducing the amount of CO2. So what can happen is that what you see in a respiratory acidosis when you're you basically have an accumulation of too much CO2, normally because you're having a problem in your lungs, you can't get that CO2 out, or because your breathing rate is really, really slow. What happens is that the CO2 increases, decreasing the pH, and then you start making more bicarbonate. So what happens is that you always know it's going to be a respiratory acidosis or alkalemia, which alkalosis, sorry, if which is when you have increased pH and too little CO2, you always know because the bicarbonate layer, the bicarbonate levels will be going in an opposite way to the pH. So say that, um, well, I mean, so will CO2. So basically if you have high CO2, you're going to have increased amount of bicarbonate that's made. So your CO2 will be going up, which will mean that your bicarbonate will be going up as well. But then what's happening is that your CO2 and your bicarbonate will be in the opposite way of the pH. Now, in the other way, if you have metabolic, which is when you're not, you don't have enough bicarbonate, basically, you'll have the same. So like pH will be, the, bicarbonate will be the same. So um, your pH will be low, but mostly because your bicarbonate is low because it can't take in those hydrogen ions or bond with those hydrogen ions to form um, carbonic acid. Okay, so that was a short or little long-winded thing of what acid, al al oh my god, I cannot speak today, acidosis is. Okay, so we know that CO2 retention is known as hypercapnia. Um, now this is pretty much, it's greater than 42 milligrams of mercury and it can be caused by hypoventilation. That's what that is. Um, so too little breathing, and may be diagnosed by an ABV or a B VBG. Sorry, ABG or a VBG. Now that's atrial blood gas, blood gas or vent or 
venial blood gas. Basically, you take your blood from your arteries, your veins, and it sees what your gas levels are, what your, basically, your levels are, um, of bicarbonate, um, pH, and then your other gases, and then you have, like, your ions, too, and there's more when it, like, when you are looking at acidosis and alkalosis, your ions play a huge thing, like, I think it's called your ion gap, that plays a huge thing in whether it's alkalosis or acidosis, but we're not going to go into that right now, we'll do a whole episode on acidosis, because it's pretty cool. So, basically, um, oh, quick fact about, um, ketoacidosis, because that's just, it's just pretty cool. We'll talk about it more when we do an episode on acidosis, but what's really, really cool is that if you have ketoacidosis and that's caused by diabetes, um, diabetes type 2, it's basically when they can't produce enough, um, they can't take in enough glucose, they have increased levels of glucose, so they're trying to find other forms of basically, uh, methods of energy and one way to do that is making keto acids or ketones and those are acidic so they increase the they decrease the ph i keep messing up that they decrease the ph and we'll go more into this when we talk about diabetes uh, or do an episode on that i feel like i keep saying that where we're going to talk about something when i do another episode on that so i feel i've i apologize there's a lot for me to get through to you guys and a lot of content that we got to get to but basically it's really cool because on a breathalyzer test like if you're driving and you have ketoacidosis, a lot of the symptoms appear like being drunk and you can actually pass a breathalyzer test, like fail one or whatever you'd call it, like get an indicator that they think you're drunk when you have ketoacidosis. Um, just because of the release, it triggers the, the, um, breathalyzer as well. So that's pretty cool. So sometimes people get pulled over and like, yeah, you're get a DUI, but actually you're just in a ketoacidotic space. Um, cause it also, you also exhibit like f- symptoms of being drunk, like you're, um, wobbly, your, your head hurts, you are, you aren't lucid, you're all that, those kind of things. Okay. Short tangent. <laughs> so basically, um, your CO2, when you're experiencing like hypercapnia, it can be maintained by chemoreceptor reflex located in, uh, your coronary or your aortic nodes, and it's basically those maintain, they basically sense the carbon dioxide levels. What's actually cool is that most of them don't have oxygen. They only have carbon dioxide receptors. So, um, a lot of these signaling, like, receptors, they only have CO2 receptors, and that's really indicative because basically the only reason you breathe or have an urge to breathe is because of higher CO2 levels, not because of decreased oxygen levels, which is kind of interesting when I first learned it. Okay, so respiratory acidosis, it can be compensated by um, bicarbonate retention in the kidneys again, and alkalosis is by a drop, um, by a drop in bicarbonate. So it's carried, CO2, it's carried in the blood, approximately 80 to 90% is dissolved, in um h2o about five percent to ten percent is in the plasma five percent to ten percent is bonded to hemoglobin and oh there's a cool thing um called i think it's called it's is it boyle's effect maybe where like basically what happens is that when you have oxygen that binds to hemoglobin, it increases the, once one binds to hemoglobin, it increases the affinity for oxygen, so more oxygen binds to it, but then when CO2 levels are high, CO2 competitively binds to hemoglobin, which decreases oxygen affinity, causing oxygen to get released from the hemoglobin, and thus go to areas of high CO2, get released into those bloodstreams, and diffuse to the cells, so it's pretty cool, like carbon dioxide, when either H plus ions or carbon dioxide are high, those H plus ions can competitively bind to the hemoglobin, um, 
um, and there, we know that the H plus ions are going to be increasingly large in concentration wherever there's high CO2 levels, and um, because of its dissolution into carbonate, um, carbonic acid, sorry, and then bicarbonate ions and H plus ion, those H plus ions will competitively bind to hemoglobin um, on the red blood cells and basically competitively bind to inhibit oxygen binding. Oxygen will get released and because of the decrease affinity for oxygen for those hemoglobin because of the H plus ions, and thus oxygen gets released from hemoglobin and um, in areas of high carbon dioxide um, concentration, which is why it's kind of like um, the method for cells that are deficient in oxygen and higher in carbon dioxide to get rid of their carbon dioxide and go and gain oxygen. Okay, so CO2 bound to hemoglobin, it forms a carbonic compound, a carbamine, carbamine, carbamino compound. So when CO2 and H plus ions are high, again, the affinity for O2 is decreased, and CO2 and H plus are low, affinity for O2 increases. Um, so if oxygen concentration is high, there is, it's, this is, all of this is known as the Haldane effect, just so that you know. So hypercapnia can be, can present with bradycardia, um, flashes, flushed skin, uh, dipsia, uh, headaches or dizziness, and it may lead to respiratory failure, um, depression, and patients with, um, it's also, like, patients with COPD usually have, like, will sometimes have alkalosis because they can't breathe that well and they can't get that, um, air and exhalation right in. So, we did humans. That's kind of what CO2 does. It's produced, um, during metabolism, uh, during, uh, Oxidation of pyruvate, isoglutarate, not isoglutarate, isocitrate, citrate, and I think it was, what was it? Right, alpha glutarate. Sorry, I, keep, I always forget that one. Okay, so um, it's produced in cellular respiration and metabolism and all that stuff. And then what's happening, well, not metabolism, it's cellular respiration. Metabolism is all the functions and reactions that occur in your body. But during cellular respiration, it's produced. Um, too much can lead to alkalosis, too little can lead to um, sorry, other way around. Acidosis, too little can lead to alkalosis. And it's maintained by the bicarbonate buffer solution that can be either by retention in the kidneys or, um, release in the kidneys. So, we're gonna move on to plants now. Now, this, I told you that I would be focusing on, um, humans for a little bit. We're never talking about plants. Plants are pretty cool. So, CO2 is used during photosynthesis, and water and carbon dioxide are oxidated and then reduced respectively to form glucose to then be used for cellular respiration. Plants take in CO2 through their stomata and their leaves and use it for cellular respiration in a process called carbon fixation, which basically the carbon is fixated to rubisco, which is an enzyme that gets recycled in the citric acid process. So, or not the citric acid, photosynthesis. So CO2 is then produced in uh, the CR and can be used in cellular respiration. Sorry, I said CR because like it's easier, but it can be used in photosynthesis. So that's basically how CO2 is done through plants. It's pretty cool. They take in CO2 and release oxygen. That's how we get a renewal of oxygen. Pretty cool, effective measure for global warming. We know that we love plants. Okay, moving on to the carbon cycle. So CO2 in the atmosphere is then used by plants. Again, it's decays um, through respiration and then dead animals. And basically what happens is that the dead animals um, that have that CO2 um, basically in their bodies, they turn it to, f over time, they basically decompose, turn into fossil fuels and used ore, um, 
by like factories or other emissions. So fossil fuels are basically, they're decomposed animals and plants. They take like a very long time for this to happen. So it's not like it's going to happen in a day or two. So it's coal, oil, natural gas. They're usually found in sedimentary rock about... I think it's like 81% of total energy used in the U.S. is from coal, oil, coal, oil, natural gas, natural gases. Um, it's non-reusable and it needs about hundreds of years to make. So not very good source of energy. I mean, it's really productive because carbon has really, really high energy production rates just because there's strong bonds that they form. So releasing it creates a lot of energy which is why fossil fuels are so used so like abundantly used but they're not really regenerable because it takes hundreds of years to make them and they're contingent on dead animals so think about that next time you use the stove you're using dead animals i'm joking please don't think that that would be really sad okay so um they're burned to produce energy as the fuel burns the heat energy is used to heat water which is then turned to steam and that drives a turbine um which then creates mechanical energy and it releases CO2. Now, what happens is that it's basically, the it's not CO2 that is in the form of fossil fuels, it's actually hydrocarbons. So like anything that has like CH, and then it's usually like an O2, but it's CH is then burned in the presence of oxygen in a combustion reaction, we love those, going back to general chem, um, to form carbon dioxide and hydrogen and lots and lots of energy and heat. So. This has a really, really negative G value, which gives free energy. I haven't talked about that before, but I will basically just know that negative G value um, gives free energy value or change in gives free energy value means extremely spontaneous. So the higher that is, or the higher negative value it is, so the lower it is, um, the more spontaneous it'll be. So it's the combustion is really, really negative um, and it's due to the strength of the bonds that are formed. So it's pretty cool. So um, now we're gonna talk about the little sad, sad bits. So climate change. CO2 allows plants to grow more and faster, but then CO2 also acts as a greenhouse gas. Now, we talked about this. It's when it traps heat close to the earth by absorbing energy at wavelengths 2,000 to 15,000 nanometers. Um, this overlaps with infrared energy. So, basically what it does is it soaks up infrared and um, basically reflects it back. So, light comes light causes the bonds so basically light bounces off from the sun comes from the sun bounces off the earth gets reflected goes to co2 in the atmosphere and this light causes the bonds between the atoms to vibrate this traps energy remember those double bonds this occurs very um particularly because of the um basically bent angular shape um and linear shape of um carbon dioxide and those the bond angles that are formed and the length of the bonds they're very very specific so this is why only specific animal did i say animals only specific molecules can act as greenhouse gases so basically the light causes the bonds between the atoms to vibrate trapping energy which would go to space but instead the bonds between carbon and oxygen bend oxygen bend and stretch to absorb the photons and release them back into the earth's atmosphere thus trapping the heat that would otherwise go out to the to the um atmosphere and back to space so this works so well because of the range of wavelengths it absorbs it absorbs them all in the infrared spectrum which is what most of our light is so um co2 also has a long atmospheric lifetime um, because it doesn't react with oxygen that well um so it relax um it also piles up much faster um than it can be naturally removed by like plants and other forms of um, carbon fixating molecules so when sunlight re 
basically reaches Earth, the surface absorbs some of the light energy and radiates it as infrared, um, which is then absorbed by CO2, O2, and N2 don't really interact with these waves because they don't absorb the same wavelengths, um, but CO2 does. And this, again, I told you it depends on the molecular geometry, and basically O2 and N2 are compounds, O2 and N2, so like oxygen and nitrogen in their gaseous states, are being simple compound simple compared to CO2 and other greenhouse gases, which are made up of three or more atoms and are able to stretch, bend, and twist, can absorb under a larger wavelength and range of wavelengths. So that's why some house atoms act as greenhouse gases while others don't. So they don't react with sun sunlight, but infrared waves irradiated by the Earth's surface. So basically, they don't react with the they don't react with the Earth with the lights coming in, but they do with the lights coming back out. That's reflected as infrared light. So CO two it basically makes the Earth's climate habitable because without that light that was um, like absorbed and reflected, we would be really really cold, and it would it basically allows for us to be able to live in an environment that works for us and maintains our heat and allows for our cellular processes to occur. Basically, our body wouldn't function if we didn't have CO2 warming up the atmosphere. However, now that levels are higher than they have been for more than 300, three, sorry, 3 million years, and the balance of heat coming in and going out is getting disrupted. This is where carbon dioxide is becoming, emissions at least, are becoming a little bit problematic because this is leading to global warming because there's too much carbon dioxide. A little bit is good, like enough to maintain Earth's ha habitable nature is good, but if you have an increase, that's too much. It's taking in too much, absorbing too much of that heat and keeping in too much of that heat, which is thus disrupting the amount of heat that's kept in. So you might be thinking, there's a lot of water vapor. So water does absorb and basically reflect radiation, but the amount of water vapor, vapor is a consequence and due to the fact that um, warmer air can hold more air, water, so this is behaves, this is because at higher temperatures more water will be in the gaseous state and less likely to condense. So some people are like, well it's because of the water vapor that's increasing it, but no, water vapor increase in the atmosphere is mostly due to um, increasing temperatures, which causes the hotter air to rise, and warmer air can, in, because it's less dense, can hold more water molecules, can hold more um, water molecules, and um, this basically allows for more reflection, which further increases and propagates the cycle, which is negative. So, how we can reduce carbon emissions? Drive less, fly less, and eat less and we'll use less. Basically do everything less, except for planting gardens. Those are good. That's good. Okay. But, um, obviously some people are like, well, I can't do anything on my own, but that's not true. I mean, we can all incorporate a lot of things. Like we talked a few episodes back about some psychological theories and we know that society and our environment can really impact our behaviors. So if one person changes, a lot of the people around them are probably going to change, which then can propagate a huge amount of change. So, and obviously if we change, we can help with business corporations changing too, but basically there's, there's things that we can do. Don't feel powerless. You are powerful as an individual. You are. So what was it that Banksy said? It was like, you are a considerable amount of perceivable threat or something. Just know that you are able and capable of doing anything to help. Now on the bright side, there are a lot of companies that are trying to work up with new innovative technologies like carbon fixators, um, basically like 
technologies that can absorb carbon and maintain it and release it or change it into different products. Like, I worked at XPRIZE, or I did an internship at XPRIZE for a little bit when I was younger, and um, I think that was in, like, ninth grade or 10th grade. Basically, they were working on a carbon XPRIZE, and I think some of them were, like, turning carbon into beer, turning carbon into shoes, turning basically just using carbon to power energy sources. There was tons of different ways that we can do this and we need to fund these projects. Find innovative stuff to fund and handle these products. Now it's pretty cool and I would say that there's a lot of technologies out there. So don't be discouraged. There's a lot of people out there working. Now lastly, I'm just going to touch on something because we had a special guest, my dad, um, Simon Gowan, on who works as a Wim Hof instructor and he's pretty cool and I mean obviously I'm pretty biased but I mean he can be really annoying sometimes too but that's okay. Um, most dads are. So he works on breathing in the Wim Hof method and a lot of this works on a lo- something involving carbon dioxide, namely carbon dioxide training. Now basically what happens is that As I said before, the level of CO2 is what signals the body to breathe. So carbon dioxide training is when you have like a bunch of slow, deep breaths or faster breaths that basically increase your ability to handle temporary imbalance in um, CO2 and also increasing your ability to shift it back to normal. So chemoreceptors in the carotid bodies and the aortic um, arch, basically they're sensitive to changes in arterial carbon dioxide, O2, and pH. And increase in the level of CO2 leads to increased breathing, so we know that. And then, so basically CO2 also plays a role in vasodilation, which increases blood flow, and it also enhances and slash activates um, PB1 alpha gene expression, which increases endurance potential and skeletal muscle. Um, CO2 therapy also accelerates muscle injury repair. Um, in rat models, it decreases muscle fatigue, and the PBC at one alpha gene transcriptor expression plays a role in the fastest slow muscle twitch fibers, which basically causes a shift, encouraging endurance, because we know that fast muscles are normally used for, like, shorter endurance, like anaerobic activities, whereas slower for more aerobic activities. So, it increases the transcriptional activity of mitochondrial transcription factor A, and in also leads to a switch to type 2B, 2D, and 2A, and type 1 fibers increasing muscle endurance. As I said, it also desensitizes receptors to increase CO2, so therefore decreasing the amount that, like, is basically, like, increases your tolerance to increased levels or imbalances in your levels of CO2. So, that's what we're going to talk about for carbon dioxide. I hope you guys enjoyed. Um, today was kind of a special episode because it's been, tomorrow will be our one month anniversary of the podcast. So that's pretty special. I really enjoy this process. Um, so thank you guys for sticking with it. I know we got a few new listeners. Again, if you ever want to contact me, um, it's going to be at, what is our email? I think I forgot. Scienceunscripted13 at gmail.com. Uh, rate us, review us, like us, let me know if I'm doing anything horribly or if I'm doing anything good or what you'd want to know. There are so many topics I want to go over and I'm trying to choose between them. Like every single episode, I think I say like, oh, we'll talk about that when I do an episode on that. So if you guys have one in particular that you really, really want me to do, just reach out. I'll do it for you. I'll do it the next day, literally the next day. So just reach out to me. I got you. Have a nice day, guys. I hope you enjoy the episode.